When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to The Suitcase and The Scribe with award-winning journalist Scott Burnside and former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for the first post-trade deadline edition of The Suitcase and the Scribe. Mike McKenna in St. Louis, you're looking very fresh. I got to tell you, I'm still, I I did, I was uh, at the Hurricanes uh, lightning game last night and I actually had a chance to, I met Max Domi at the airport when he arrived for his first hours as a Carolina Hurricane, Um, but I'm feeling a bit ragged, I I don't. I didn't get traded. Nothing happened to me. But I, I feel a bit <laughs> ragged. Forty-eight hours after the trade deadline, but you look really good, my friend. I'm trying. You know, I, I I got a great night's sleep. I think that was step number one, Scott. It was a really, really busy. I mean, almost weekend. I would say leading yeah. up to trade deadline, and and you know, for us now being in media, which is still so funny for me to say, but like, you're constantly on guard. Like you're you're attached to your phone, and it's not even because you feel like you have to, it's because you're interested, you know, like you're so vested in this sport, you and I, and everyone else that you have to know what's going on, but you also want to see what the moving parts are because that's what makes everything intriguing. So it was a lot um, trade deadline day. You know, we had a lot of fun on daily faceoff being able to speak about some of the trades that had taken place doing our live show together. Yeah, it was fun. And that was really cool. And then, you know, yesterday it was right back to the grindstone, man. There were games at hand and, and, you know, back to, uh, like yesterday, doing an analysis piece on Eric Schalgren, who's been the de facto starting goalie of the Toronto Maple Leafs that I have up on Daily Faceoff. And Scott, you've done the same, continuing to crank out the wonderful content that you have for us at Daily Faceoff. It's it's a lot, man. Like, And <laughs> I think we still have a couple of days to kind of decompress here yeah. and take a breath. And let the dust settle. And, um, you know, for you, is you've done a lot of these. Did this year feel different than any of the other ones in the past? Yeah. And I don't, I don't know why exactly. Maybe it was because I've never done, you know, I've been part of, you know, trade deadlines where you're contributing. You know, I've spent a long time at ESPN and <clears throat> we always gathered in Bristol. And it was really off for most of us in the hockey group at the time was the only time we went to Bristol. And, uh, and in fact, I, Pierre Lebrun and I traded texts, uh, it maybe was Sunday or Saturday leading up to the deadline. And oh, I had written about my favorite deadline memories for daily faceoff. And Pierre called me and I was in Raleigh. He said, why didn't you mention that night that we were at Cadillac ranch in Bristol for uh, for the trade deadline, and Cadillac Ranch is this crazy country and western bar that is next to the residence in where we stayed. And we were there one night, the Saturday or Sunday before the trade deadline, and we were having beer at the bar. And Pierre was, as he is wont to do, breaking stories nonstop. It was a trade out of Buffalo. I don't know why I remember that. Might have been Drew Stafford. Anyway, it somehow came out that we were at Cadillac Ranch. And then it became the question of, was Pierre breaking stories from the mechanical bull? And then we get a text, <laughs> we get a text from our great boss, Joy Russo. And Joy was like, stop texting from Cadillac Ranch. That was the, we don't, no more breaking stories from the bar. Anyway, Pierre wanted to know why I didn't mention that. And now I have mentioned it. But it, yeah, I've been part of those kinds of you know, sort of day long moments and things like that. But I really enjoy doing our show because you're sort of on all the time and it it is a different beast 
than when you sort of parachute in and out. So I, I enjoyed it very much. I did find it very taxing, though. Also, the room I was in, Mike Maniscalco's office at PNC Arena, 40 below, I swear. Cold, <laughs> and I will tell you, a quite a long distance from the nearest washroom. I just, so I, that's, that all factored into the day. Maybe too much information, I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I'm... It was just fun, man. Like I've watched panels do stuff for years um, and finally having the chance to do that and riff on what we've got to see in real time. I love that we had the ISO cam on Frank Suravali, our insider cam, and you could read his facial expressions when we knew something was coming. And yeah, it was cool. And, and, you know, we saw some movement, a lot of movements and way more than I thought. Yeah. And listen, everybody looks for the big blockbusters. And I think you know, Marc-Andre Fleury moving, Claude Giroux moving. There's your biggest names available. And they both moved, of course, Claude Giroux going to the Florida Panthers from the yeah. Philadelphia Flyers uh, and Marc-Andre Fleury going to the Minnesota Wild, which, by the way, I dug in my text yesterday and I was trying to figure out when I had floated this. And I know that I said this on the suitcase and the scribe at some point, Scott, but I had said I could see Marc-Andre Fleury landing in Minnesota. I feel like that's a fit. And I went back in my text and sure enough, February 21st, I found at least one of them saying that to a friend of mine. So I had a full month head start. I feel like I kind of called it, but that's. <laughs> I'm giving you credit big, for that one. That's yeah, a win you. for you. I, that wasn't, I just, sometimes I like to, you know, yeah. smack my own back here, but <laughs> I really like what Minnesota did. Yeah. And, you know, Capo Kakinen had a lot of juice coming out of the American Hockey League. He was the reigning goalie of the year there. Excellent young goaltender, but he's just been maddeningly inconsistent for the wild. He'll go on these long stretches where he's lights out and then he'll fall off the map. And, you know, this year, I think it kind of got to a point where they had to figure out what to do with him. Yeah. And, you know, Cam Talbot was in the same territory where he was up and down as well. And of course, this is indicative of the team, but I think there was an undercurrent with the wild of thinking, we like what we have, but can we really win with what we have in nets? Mm. And that Marc-Andre Fleury connection to Billy Guerin and what I thought was the biggest driving factor was that Minnesota is such a quick flight from Chicago. You know, Flower can have his family there whenever he wants, basically. Yeah. You know, put him on the, on the team's charter, whatever you got to do. <laughs> like, he, they can be there often. And that team's good enough that he could look at it and say, you know what? We can contend. I could have some fun. I'm willing to do this. I don't because I don't see Flower ending up there next season. I think this is a pure rental, Scott. But did you feel that the market for Flurry and Giroux and these players who really controlled where they could go stifled the market to a certain extent? You know, you look at Giroux, like he basically wanted Florida. Like, so how hard is this for general managers when their hands are essentially tied to get? a return, even though they know they're moving a good player. Like what a tightrope for GMs, eh? I, well, it absolutely is. I know. <clears throat> Listen, if you're not complaining about something in Toronto, then you're not a fan, but <laughs> you know, like, you know, like I, I, I saw the, you know, the Giordano deal and mm. I thought that Kyle Dubas did a terrific job there. You know, he didn't give up a first round pick and, uh, he got I a player that wants to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs and is a former exactly. Norris winner. But, and then, you know, but I mean, so what if you're Ron Francis, I, given all those res- uh, constraints, as you point out, <clears throat> I, I think he, you know, he, I, I think he did pretty well. I, I, I go back in the day to, you know, when Marty St. Louis decided he didn't want to be in Tampa anymore. And <laughs> he's basically, I, I want to go to the New York Rangers. And, and you think of, and, and, I, and I can't remember what the return was, but you know what Steve Eisenman did pretty darn good job on the return for Marty St. Louis, given that there was only going to be one trading partner. And I think, right. you know, listen, the, the, the bottom line is if you're Ron Francis or Steve Eisenman or whoever, you don't have to make a deal, right? Like you, if, if a deal is so onerous to you that it devalues future transactions, maybe with other GMs or this GM, like if you knuckle and take far less in market value for a player Maybe that does more long-term damage than saying, screw it, I'll mm-hmm. keep you. And if you walk in the summer, so be it. But I'm not giving you away. And that I, I got to tell you that I don't think people understand if you, if, you know, from the outside, if you're an NHL GM 
and you've got a prime asset like a Claude Giroux. And again, I thought the return for Claude Giroux was okay. And again, the, the whole point is you, you can't just trade him to any of the 20 teams that might have been interested in buying at the deadline, right? You've got one or two. Colorado may, you know, but certainly if Claude wants to go to Florida, that's basically where you end up sending him. You have to, yeah. you got to deal with that. But it is, a, it's an interesting dynamic there. And I honest, I thought Ron Francis did a nice job and with Giordano, given that really he only wanted to go to Toronto from what we understand. And same thing for Philly. Um, which of those two guys do you think has the most impact? impact? I know they're different positions. I get that, but. Which of those two guys has the most impact, do you think? I think Marc-Andre Fleury has – If we, are we going Fleury, Giordano, or well, let's throw Fleury, Let's throw, throw Fleury in, although I think Fleury's impact is going to be obvious. But Fleury, yeah. uh, who also controlled his fate, obviously. Uh, Fleury, yeah. Giordano, Drew, which, who has the, the biggest impact there? You know, I actually think that it's probably Giordano. I think that Giroux, especially offensive weapons, like you're always looking for depth, but how much of an impact can an offensive player truly have to where you look at it and go, that was the missing link. You know, oh, he scored 10 goals. Like somebody from Florida would probably pick up the slack when it comes to goal scoring that, that there's, cause there's no slack. Like there's not, there's no you know, you know right. like you're pulling, you're already playing tug of war with more, more people on your side than the other team right now. If you're the Florida <laughs> Panthers, it's so, already unfair. It is. Um, Man, the Maple Leafs had to get defense. They had to. Like, and to me, Giordano's just instantly upgrade, you know. And and Travis Dermott has just he gets shipped out of town in Toronto. And like he's always been right at the cusp of really being a good player, I think. It hasn't really gotten to that next step. And yeah. probably been asked to do too much at times. And Giordano makes a big difference. And and I think Flurry, you're gonna see moments where he might steal a game for the wild that they hadn't previously. And I think in playoffs, that's where you're really going to notice it most is where yeah. the flurry factor comes in. But for the rest of the year, and I think over the long haul, like big picture to me, Giordano was a big piece. And again, I mean, Scott, it matters so much to me that he wanted to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's his yes. hometown team. Like, dude, he's going to be so excited. And, and that's not always the case at trade deadline, even like Giroux, like. I guarantee there's apprehension going to a new team. He's never been anywhere else but Philly. Like it's all, all new environment to him. Whereas Giordano, he's with the Flames. He goes to a new team in Seattle. He's moved previously between clubs. He understands that dynamic, and he's going to a club that's got energy that could win. Yeah. After goaltending holds up, but that's a whole other story. I wrote a piece on Eric Schaldron that's up on Daily Faceoff where you can look into what I believe about him. But yes, I, I think Giordano has the best chance, and you know I'm flip this back towards that direction, you know, like Scott, where do we think the, the standings are going? Like, where's the tangible difference going to be here? So like, let's look at that Atlantic division. Florida just manages to keep rolling. I thought Tampa would overtake them. Eventually Tampa's made some changes. Obviously we'll get to those. Toronto uh, is in the mix. Where where does the Atlantic end up? Are we going to see any movement in the Atlantic whatsoever? Yeah. Or is it possibly in the Metropolitan Division, if anywhere, on the Eastern Conference? Well, I, to me, the the Atlantic, I think Florida wins that division, and and not and maybe there's some recency bias because I watched Tampa closely last night, but mm-hmm. the Bulls are kind of in that. You know what? They're in that mode where you've won two Stanley Cups in a row. You know you're going to the playoffs. They're just a little off. Like Carolina was. They were a mile ahead of them last night. You know, uh, Vasilevsky was, as you would expect, from the best goalie in the world. He was outstanding, or it would have been six yeah. two or six one. You know who did um, look good was Nick Paul for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Oh my gosh! Yeah, nice goal for Nick Paul, yeah. slicing through the middle. Nice little tip goal for him in his first appearance for the Lightning. But yeah. So I think the interesting part for me in the Atlantic, you know, Boston adds uh, Hampus Lindholm. There's there's a sort of quietness about what the Bruins have done. And now they're a, either a, I'm going to look. I'm not even going to guess. I think they're tied with Toronto and Toronto's game in hand. But let me just. That's correct. Here. Scott, you're a savant, Scott. Yeah, yep, they both have 83 points, uh, one game in hand for the Boston Bruins. That's right. So yep. what? Because that's pretty critical. That that little that place in those standings. So I think it goes Florida, Tampa. And then the question is. The Boston move up into that third spot, play Tampa in the first round. 
do they stay in the, I think they'll be in the top wildcard spot, which would mean playing either Carolina or Florida. Um, I think that's the debate in that, um, in the Atlantic. And maybe it doesn't matter. I think those teams, there's, there's so many good teams in the East. I don't think it matters to me that what happens now is, is about integrating those players. And it's probably more, most important for Toronto, because as you point out, it's not, it's not, it's the goaltending, right. That has to be resolved in the next 20 games or 19 games. Is it Shelgren? Is it Shelgren? Does I say that? Uh, Mm. Is it Jack Campbell? It's a soft K, much like Shillington and Calgary, who I butchered his name at the start of the year because I didn't know any better. Yeah. I think that's more about it. Like, do you think the matchups matter? Like, do you think Boston, it matters to them whether whether they finish third or in the wildcard spot? I mean, it's a marginal difference in the possibility of having home ice advantage at some point. So, I don't know if it matters, but I, that's where I see the standings issue in the Atlantic Division. Does Toronto bet drop into one of those wild card spots? Either way, they're going. You're playing a good team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the well, bottom especially line. in the so, East, man. Yeah, like there's not much delta there at all. Like Washington's been good lately. Like Mantha just energized that team. Vanek's mm-hmm. back. Like. I actually have a lot of respect for what McClellan did in Washington, more or less standing pat. I mean, I know he brings uh, Johansson Larson. He gets a couple pieces to bring back in, but I respect him looking at his club and going, this isn't worth it right now. We think we have pieces that can help us. And they have, you know, you got to run with that sometimes, but I don't think the matchups matter in the East. Like you're going to play good teams clear to the Stanley cup final. Yeah. And I, I do think Scott, that what matters is within your room, the feeling that, Hey, we earned home ice. Yeah. We finish the season strong. We're rolling. And does that always play out? Like the numbers won't support that it really matters much. No. But I truly believe that hitting your stride at the right time does matter. So if you are Boston, if you are able to grab home ice, if you're the Rangers and you can grab home ice and finish second in the Metropolitan, like yeah. I think that stuff matters within the room, within the mental aspect of the game, just giving yourself confidence towards the playoffs and a belief in self. And I think the Atlantic is Boston and Toronto is up for grabs with me. I, I, Tampa, they're going to keep rolling. I, I think they stay where they are, Florida as well. Um, but boy, it's gotten tight there. You know, it, it's really interesting for me to see. And then when we flip to the Metro, I, I think Pittsburgh is such a good team. Yes. And they just got better by getting Raquel out of Anaheim. That was a really slick move that I think wasn't that expected. You know, Pittsburgh was more or less looking. If anything, I thought they might grab a defenseman and bulk up a bit and they get some scoring with Raquel. Man, I like that move. I, I like Pittsburgh in general. But the Rangers, Scott, I think were – man, I think they may have the best trade on a deadline out of anybody. Chris Drury picked up some great pieces to that club. They've got three right-handed defensemen now with adding Justin Braun. Yeah. To fill, a, fill a void on the back end there. Frank Vitrano, 20-goal scorer. This is an under undercover pickup, Frank. I like. Yeah, he comes out of Florida only because Florida needed cap space. Yeah. Okay, and Vitrano can play an expanded role in New York. He can shoot as well as anybody in the league. He terrorized me in the American League in the NHL. East Longmeadow, Massachusetts that. finest. The guy was my arch nemesis, dude. Like he, people ask me like, who was the hardest player you ever faced? I'm like Frank Vitrano, and who like, I'm like. We need well, him, him on up. the. We gotta get him on the podcast. Yes, yes, we do. Actually, he's our target for next week. I think we'll go for him. Um, but I was like, man, like this guy he can shoot the puck, and he's a good hockey player. Um, I love that, but I didn't expect the Rangers to get Andrew Cop. Uh, I like yeah. That That's that. Be- yeah. That was the sleeper, you know, and we'll touch on the West in a bit. And Lekin into Colorado is kind of similar to the Andrew Cop to the Rangers. Yeah. That. It had to be the right pieces for the Jets to give him up. They do. The Rangers add him. And then they add Tyler Mott. Yep. And I watched him closely in the bubble when Vancouver played against the Golden Knights in their seven-game series. And ever since then, I've had my eye on Mott. And if I'm constructing a team, I want him on it. Yeah. This guy's a warrior. Blocking shots, his offensive ability is higher than you think. Like The Rangers made themselves so much deeper in one day. 
Scotty, I wonder if the Rangers don't catch fire here and end up in second in that division in the Metro. Like, and again, like I don't think any of this matters because they're all good teams in the East, yeah. man. Like it's hard to handicap this field except for maybe Florida and Carolina being slightly above. Like, yeah. do you see the Metro staying the same? Do you see the Rangers have this chance? Like, can this is it all happening, Scott? It is, and I, and I, I'm, I'm, I, I love the ads too. But here, let me ask you this question, and not just because New Jersey waxed the Rangers in the first game after the deadline, everything out the window. Shostak and had to get yanked. It was, it did not follow the script. But I think the challenge now for Gerard Gallant, right? You talk about three guys added at the trade uh, deadline period. Vitrano came in a few days early, and then. Maude and Andrew Kopp and Justin Braun on the back end. I know there were issues about Lindgren and Fox being overworked, mm. over fatigued by the time they got to the playoffs. It's a legitimate thing. But at some point, Capococco is going to come back off of injured reserve. How, how do you, how, you know, like the, the pie is only the pie in yeah. 60 minutes. Who gets uh, in the lineup? Who gets on what line? who gets the, you know, the six minute night or the eight minute night and who gets the 15 minute night. I mean, these are all, listen, it's, it's great to have depth. It's great to have options. You can't win without it. But you also have to integrate it properly. I think Gerard Gallant's a fine coach, but he's going to have to do his best coaching between now and the start of the playoffs, in my opinion, in making sure that those pieces that were added are, are, are being allowed to maximize their potential. And I think that's always, to me, that's a residual part of the trade deadline. Same thing for uh, um, the Florida Panthers. Uh, okay, you ha- you touched on it, Mike. They have an embarrassment of riches. Claude Giroux's not filling a gap there, right? They were already they, – they had crushed people offensively. Yeah, he's so, the whipped cream on the Sunday, man. <clears throat> but how does – so how does Claude Giroux – how does he fit? What's the ripple effect on that lineup? Does it cause dissent – for people who suddenly aren't in the lineup or getting the the time to play that they previously had, all those kinds of things. But I think that's the challenge, especially for the Rangers, because it's a very young club. They made those significant ads. So it's four roster players that now are you have to accommodate every single night, barring injury. <clears throat> I think that's the challenge. I, I, I like the Rangers a lot. Um, I think that first round matchup, which is it's not locked in stone, but is pretty close, is Pittsburgh Rangers. What a what a showcase for Tristan Jari to redeem himself after last year against the best goalie in the NHL and probably the well the Vesna Trophy winner, maybe the Hart Trophy winner. I don't know. I, like, do you think that's anyway? Do you, do you think I'm I'm off base? Is it you got good players? let them play. It's an easy thing. Or are there challenges for a team like the Rangers that made those kinds of wholesale changes? For me, it's less for the Rangers because I think they really had a need for depth. Mm-hmm. I think it needed to be there. And I can tell you, it's not coming out of the lineup. It's not Ryan Reeves. That's never going to happen under Gerard Gallant plays an integral role. You know, I, I could see Caco Capo Caco, honestly getting healthy, man. Like I could see that coming off an injury and you never know going down the stretch, who's going to be in now the lineup with injuries as well. I think it kind of plays itself out. Yeah. Um, and you even see that with, you know, teams that pick up defensemen and you think, wow, like where's he going to fit into that mix? You know, like, Oh, they've got a top six, but like, and that's kind of where, you know, even Colorado to me picking up Josh Manson potentially bumps a good player out of the lineup once they're healthy, healthy on the back end. Yeah. But that's how it works, man. Like, you need seven defensemen. You need eight defensemen if you want to win a Stanley Cup. So I'm not as concerned with the Rangers as with chemistry, especially under Glant, because he's he's so good about that. I have concern I had concerns and I wrote about this in advance of Colorado messing with their chemistry. Yeah. And I thought going for Giroux would have been the wrong play there. I, I, they're just they're so gifted offensively, and not that Florida isn't. I just I didn't feel like he would fit as well there. And They've added pieces. Listen, they grab Lekkonen, which is a big grab. Yeah. Uh, man, I didn't really expect to see him move. And they gave up a tidy ransom. I mean, second round pick because, you know, Lekkonen was in first round territory, we thought. Yeah. But they give up a second and a really good defensive prospect. Yeah. In Barrett. So, you know, Colorado here is all in, dude. 
like even more than I expected here. They've given away some good prospects, some picks, but I'm curious to see how that plays because they have altered the club. Yeah. Blackenden, you know, even Cogliano's coming in now. Like, where does he fit? He might be a healthy scratch on that team. Like, yeah, I, I, <clears throat> I think he's the, he's just a an in, like an insurance policy, right? Like, right. Things go so, awry injury wise. Okay. But yeah. I mean, did, did Colorado, as much as we say, boy, they made themselves better. And I think they really did with Manson on the back end. Okay. Like Curtis McDermott, that guy's nails warrior, tough as can be, but Manson's a, a more dynamic player than him. Uh, and you know, who knows, like Sam Gerard comes back. If what do we have for space, but yeah. do you see Colorado having approved as drastically as we really think? compared to what they had going into the deadline. Like, are they, they're the pace setter. No question. But, but did they really improve that much? Well, see, I think, I think they're almost the antithesis, antithesis of Florida, which like, listen, Florida had a bench rot, especially with Ekblad out now <clears throat> until into the first round. That's yeah. a, addressing a very specific need there. And Robert Hag for even more insurance comes in exactly. from Buffalo. Smart play once Ekblad goes out, grab that depth. Yeah. See, those are specific. That's addressing a need. Drew, as we've talked about, he just is, he's adding to an embarrassment of riches. I think Colorado is the opposite. I, I, I'm with you. I, I, it made no made little sense to me to have you know to pursue Claude Giroux and give up the kinds of assets you would have had to in Colorado. I think Josh Manson on the back end and the snarl that he brings, mm. um, and the addition of a Lekkinen who can play anywhere in your top nine is that prototypical two way player, responsible. Like I again, I know the past is a past, but what was so key in watching Vegas? come off the mat after losing the first two games against Colorado and then smothering the abs in four straight games is that they, they reduced the ability of the abs to go through the middle of the ice. They pressured the smaller abs defensemen. You know, Eric Johnson wasn't in the lineup last year. They were smaller. They absolutely took away the abs transition game. And stole that series. Like I remember watching those first two games, Colorado wins two. I was like, "Oh my!" Like it's I, over. Well, you know, you know, Twitter. It's like Colorado may not lose another game, right? They're just, they're, they're if I remember right, it. Scott, the first game was an absolute blowout. <laughs> I think it was like seven-one Colorado over Vegas, and everybody just went, "It's over." Four games. But I think it what happened then is Colorado. You look at, okay, how do we fail, right? We're this great team. How do we fail? Why do we fail? How do we address our shortcomings? And I really think that that's what they did at this deadline. And, I, you know, any team can be beat. Uh, Tampa showed that 62 wins out in four games, three or four years ago, whatever, 18, I guess, 18 or 19. Same thing can happen to Colorado, right? It's life. But I think this Colorado team is I, – I think they're way better than they were a year ago, and they were a very good team then. I just think they've addressed those needs, and it may be sort of more subtle. I just think they – man, it's, I am fascinated to see, especially in the first round, because that's always, I think, when teams are vulnerable. Like, is there a team – so let me turn it, but I'll ask you then. Is there a team that you could see – who could beat Colorado then right now in the seven games here, any team in the West who beats Colorado in a seven game series. Calgary. Okay. And that's, that's conference final. So I'll give you that. And you know, who, and you know who else? Okay. Dallas. Dallas has played them well this year. For whatever reason, Dallas has played Colorado strong in some of their games. Yeah. And we've seen what Dallas can do in the playoffs when they, I know it's recent memory. I know it's different teams or different team players on the team two years ago for Dallas. But, man, that Jamie Benn factor in playoffs, dude, is real. So yeah. those are the two teams I think really could um, realistically play them hard yeah. and knock them off. But it's not many. Let me, so let me ask you this, because we talked about them. Marc-Andre Fleury, been there, done that. Minnesota. I, I assume they'll play St. Louis in the first round. Still, you know, Nashville's right 
they're right mm-hmm. there. Got beat last night, but pretty handily by LA. But I think it's I think it's St. Louis, Minnesota in the first round sets up possible Minnesota, Colorado second round. There's Mark Andre Fleury. Yep. He has, as we know, he's not a he's not afraid of those guys. He's not I, afraid I don't of know. anything. Yeah, I I think that Minnesota could give him a run for their money, but I I just don't see it happening unless Fleury steals it. Yeah, but that's why they got him. That's why Bill Gary got Mark Andre Fleury yeah. because you can't just have good goaltending; you need excellent goaltending. Yeah, and and I used to play. I used to think that you just needed good goaltending to win a cup if your team was good enough. And these last couple of years have t- completely changed my mind with that. Watching Vasilevsky be the ultimate money goalie in hockey. How many wins, how many shutouts in game sevens or elimination games? It's yep. you have to count on two hands. I think it's crazy. Jordan Bennington, the run he went on, like you just have to have it. So Minnesota has an X factor. I don't see that happening. Yeah. It's got the team. I was disappointed in at the deadline. One of them was St. Louis. They only essentially picked up Nick Letty and they gave up a really popular player in Oscar Sundquist, who's been really beat up and a salary cap doesn't fit his hit salary cap hit. North of two and a half million dollars doesn't fit on the fourth line. I understand that. But I think there's a bit of gamesmanship in Doug Armstrong's comments saying that he believes his team can win. He loves his team. But he was not willing to pay the price for a team that's really at the cusp of winning. Okay. If he really thought his team was at the verge of winning, they would have gone and spent what was necessary to get Ben Sherratt. Yeah. And they didn't. So to me, it just says, I think we're pretty good. Maybe we get lucky and we back our way into winning another one, but we're still re- we're really retooling here for next season when we yeah. get a little bit of flexibility in our cap. So I, I get that feeling out of St. Louis that they think they're good, but are they really that good? I don't know. And you don't see, you don't I, see Nick Letty's this year's Michael Kempney. You know, well, mean, I love, here's the thing. I picked Letty for that club a couple, again, a month or two ago. I thought Letty probably fit the bill for that team yeah. because I thought his asking price was in the ballpark of what they wanted to do for a rental. Armstrong yeah. loves to get players with term. Like, man, if he could have gotten Chikorin or Lindholm, I think he would have done that. But again, the price was too high for what he was willing to do. So, I, I think they just kind of waffled, man. And I don't like waffling, but I get it. You know, sometimes you have to do that as a manager and hope it plays out. Um, I don't see the central changing much, like you said. Maybe Nashville mucks it up a bit and gets in. Dallas is going to be a wild guard team if they make it. But the Pacific to me is still, I think it's still up for grabs, man. Like, Scotty, how do you see this playing out? The Pacific is like drama island, right? Every single day. (laughs) Every single day, some crazy stuff happens. And this is, we, we sort of are building to our weekly discussion of if, if the Pacific is drama island, then the Vegas Golden Knights are chaos city. They're the <laughs> capital city of, yes. of drama island, chaos <laughs> city. And I mean, they can't even get through the trade deadline. Oh. Without, without, and it's they don't even make any ads, right? Like it's not about, you know. They didn't do anything other than get involved in a legal dispute. (laughs) That's what happened at the trade deadline. Is that the Vegas Golden Knights became involved in a legal dispute? (laughs) Still, still unresolved. Dadonov, do do you say it? Dadon, Dadonov. It has changed various times throughout his career, but at this point, it's Dadonov. Yeah, Dadonov, healthy. Healthy scratch, I believe, last night. Yeah, I don't think he's going to do much playing for the Golden Knights at this point. <laughs> well, I don't. I mean, the whole fascinating thing. I'm sure people are aware. Golden Knights trade him to Anaheim, basically salary jump because they have to protect against all of their injured. Well, their many injured players when they come back to keep under the cap, so they trade the Donoff to Anaheim to disperse his salary. Let's go. And they had to pay for him to go away. Okay. They had to send a second round pick to Anaheim, essentially along with the Donoff to receive the contract of Ryan Kessler, who's not playing and John Moore defenseman who's buried in the minors, all of this to save $3.75 million against the salary cap. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I was just looking up the Donoff's got this year and next at 5 million. Yep. It's a complicated thing, but it is. I mean, they they had to unload him. <clears throat> I mean, he's a good player. It just it hasn't really 
he hasn't had the impact. I didn't really understand the acquisition to begin with, right? He yeah. he's a winger. He, he, I didn't understand why you wanted him to begin with because he didn't really, I didn't think fit a need there anyway, clear because they don't want, they can't have him hanging around anymore. But as it turns out, when he was acquired from Ottawa, for some reason, Golden Knights unaware that he had a limited no trade clause and among the teams that was on that list were the Anaheim Ducks. And now the question is, is this deal? I mean, it sounds almost certain now that this deal is going to be voided and the Donoff is going to stay with the Golden Knights, which creates all kinds of cap issues. But it also is like it's an embarrassing situation you know, I, I, is it Ottawa's fault for not telling Vegas? I, I don't know. If I'm an acquiring team, don't you look at all of the paperwork? Like, aren't you asking, is there stuff I should know? You've had him for a year, and you still don't know this? I don't know. This, I, I don't know, this is a mess. I don't know why I'm so outraged by it, but it is. I, I, feel, I feel embarrassed for Vegas over this. I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm outraged, but I saw this happen, and I just went, this is unbelievable. Like. <laughs> This is really happening right now that an NHL team, multiple NHL teams, even a league office has allowed a trade to go through and now it's probably going to be voided. (laughs) So I I have questions of how the league didn't know this, but let's, let's look at this from several vantage points. Okay. Everything that we've read from our own Frank Cervalli reporting on it is that the player, the agent did provide the 10 team, no trade list to the Ottawa senators in time before the June 31st deadline of 2021. The player was traded. The Donna was traded on July 28th of 2021. So the no trade list was provided to the Ottawa senators. Apparently there's paperwork that says that that happened and it was filed and everything was good. Well, the Donna gets traded and the no trade list does not come along for whatever reason. That's what we're hearing in whatever capacity that is, that Ottawa didn't is provide it, it. Is it like a box that has to show up? Like how can you? Well, yeah. Like it should this be a writer up? on the contract at this point. So like Scott, I'm seriously wondering if like, since, since that wasn't either added to the deal and wasn't sent to Vegas, if Vegas complete ignorance, they can say, well, we didn't know. So we traded them. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to have my tinfoil hat on here, but I think I have to have my tinfoil hat on here. Like you look for every legal loophole you can possibly find. And if that's the case, like, wouldn't you try to exploit that? The problem is that I'm not sure that legally this is going to go through (laughs) because everything seemed to go right. So how did first, how did the senators not provide it? I don't know if that happened or not. Did Vegas know or not? They say they didn't know. So like, there's a lot of gray area here and somebody screwed up big time. Yeah. Somebody either really screwed up or somebody got caught. Okay. Yeah. It's one of the two. And I don't know how it's going to play out. And I suspect that whatever it is, is going to get pushed under the rug pretty quickly because it makes the league look bad right now. Yeah. Well, at least, <clears throat> yeah. And you would think there would be a mechanism in place that, Okay, we do, you know, like we look at uh, Puckpedia, and there's lots of places that ha- that have <clears throat> the information regarding, and it's complicated, right? Because the player, you know, it's, whether it's a, you have a no. How can you not know list. a player has a ten team no trade list if you require that player? How can you not know? Yeah, uh, I don't know. How can you enter into discussions and not have that come up from the team selling to the team buying? I'm, my mind is blown. Anyhow, Unless there was willful anyhow. ignorance. But yeah, you know, to me, buyer beware, right? Like uh, what's your responsibility as the acquiring team? <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe you're right. I don't know. It is embarrassing. And it has the potential, correct me if you think I'm overstating it, this has a potential to create an enormous issue for a, a Golden Knights team shut out. I don't, yeah, Two shut out again last night. Cannot score. They are banged up. I mean, it, you know what? It may be a total moot point because I don't, I don't know if they can make the playoffs now, right? Yeah. I mean, Winnipeg keeps – well, Winnipeg pitched shutout. Connor Hellebuck was excellent. Dallas keeps winning, has games in hand. Like, what, what's, what's your take on what happens to the Golden Knights on the ice 
down through the stretch now. And especially given this, you know, the fact that they may have injured players who come back and are ready to play and they're going to have to, uh, well, they will, they will have to find a way. They have to jettison cap mm-hmm. from their lineup. They're, it's a mess. Like now if the Dodonov contract is, is, I mean, that deal essentially hasn't happened now. So he's still on the roster. Yeah. Even though last night, Dodonov was shown in a Ducks jersey on a, on a broadcast, which was crazy. He's not a member of the Ducks right now. Um, now they've got $15.5 million sitting on long-term IR that if they're going to bring anybody back, they got to send somebody to like flush away a contract in the American League and a big dog yeah, like to clear space if they have to. So they're in, they're in a pickle, man. And I don't know how they win. And I can't imagine, we haven't even talked about Dodonov. How do you feel if you're Dodonov? You, you negotiate a 10-team no-trade clause of your contract, and then all this happens? Like, that dude's got one year left at five mil. But, man, I could see him just going, enough of this, I'm going home. <laughs> you know, like, that's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it is. So, well, and it's, it, yeah, it is, it's, and what's his, you know, he was a healthy scratch last night, <clears throat> again, because they, He's still a golden knight, but what? Right. How are you resolving this? Worst thing he could have played last night and then got hurt. So, but anyway, so what? <laughs> yeah, do you- I don't see Vegas making playoffs. Is how, what it comes down to. As banged up as they are and as hurt as they are, even if they get Mark Stone back, I, I think they're going to keep having enough wins here and there to give them hope. But when it comes down to it, Dallas has four games in hand. They're playing better hockey than Vegas is by a mile. Even Winnipeg is. So, and I don't think Winnipeg makes it, but. Vegas is going to have to jump over Dallas and Nashville. And I think, I think the only way Vegas makes it is if Edmonton falls off the planet again, which could easily happen. You never know what'll happen there. Little Um, collapse for them last night against the uh, Dallas stars. So 28 second, second collapse. So I don't know, man, the Pacific still has to be one. And I think it really hinges on Edmonton, Scott. I think that's the biggest deal there. The, The balance of power in the Pacific still remains with Calgary. And I love LA. Even yeah. though they didn't, you know, they didn't do a lot of the deadline, but that team's got something special going. I like where they are right now. I'm going I'm to ask you because I'm. It's time in this podcast to mention our friends from DoorDash, the proud sponsor of the Nation Network of podcasts, restaurants, and more delivered right to your door. I wish I wish somebody had delivered DoorDash to me in that freezing meat locker at PNC arena. That's what I wish would have happened to me, but um, would, were you surprised that I, I thought the Kings might do, yeah, I thought Rob Blake might do a little more, more, it was more subtle, but I, but I kind of understand, right. They're maybe slightly ahead of their evolutionary curve and mm-hmm. you want to make sure, right. You want to make sure you're on the right track. You don't want to, you don't want to derail yourself by doing something crazy. I do like that team a lot, though. And boy, they got some jam in them. They they play. They they got some jam. They play hard, uh, and they've got a really good lineup that is like like you said ahead of the curve. I did expect Rob Blake to make a splash at some point during the trade deadline because, frankly, we heard a lot of that that the Kings are in on a lot of players. But I don't think that they got the package that they could have wanted. Like if Chikrin to me makes a lot of sense. So he makes a lot of sense everywhere. So where are you going to really place that player? Um, I don't think Rob Blake wants to give away the depth he has and the young players that he has. Uh, I just have questions in goal for them. I really do. I, I'm not sure Peterson and Quick right now are able to carry that team, but I think they're going to get in playoffs. I think Todd McClellan's done a really good job. That whole evolution started when they tried to speed the team up when McClellan came in. And boy, it was ugly for a while in terms of defensively. Um, but now they've gotten better. And I still, I, Arvidsson, you hope he's back soon. He's a big piece there. But that centerman combination of Kopitar and Dano is huge. And you get Dowdy back later on. You got some self-ads there, Scott. So I think to me, that's more so how Blake was looking at it. We've got players that we think will be back. That'll give us a boost. We don't want to spend these prices. Maybe we do these moves in the off season or leading up to trade deadline or to free agency. I think that's where things are headed for the Kings. It, I, it's, it is interesting. I was just looking at their injured list, which is it's Vegas like in its mm-hmm. length and the critical pieces there. You mentioned Doughty and Sean Walker and, Varvitz and you go down the list 
And if you can get healthy, and I'm sure that's the whole Rob Blake theory on this is it's your, your own ad, right? You, you guys that you get back that are like, you know, Alex Adler just came off, uh, just rejoined the lineup recently. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. And again, a veteran presence there. And the interesting thing about that Pacific is, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, it's kind of fluid. It's kind of malleable. I'm not sure, you know, let's say Edmonton hangs in there in the three spot. What, what do you make of a Kings Oilers matchup? But you talk about that'd be like the goaltending roulette wheel with the, there, but I, I, wouldn't you give the edge to the King, Kings going into that series in goal? <sighs> Maybe. <laughs> no, um, I, I don't, you can take any of those four goaltenders involved and I don't really believe in them in playoffs. <laughs> um, but I, I, man, everybody looks at Jonathan quick and go, he's the ultimate gamer. Well, you can't just will yourself into winning games anymore. Like you, you got to have structural base and, and I don't know, maybe I have a bias because our team knocked off Peterson in the first round a couple of years ago in the American league. And I remember that, but he was very young and I, I, I would give Los Angeles an edge there if they're healthy over Edmonton, just because they, if they play harder, man, they don't make the same mental mistakes that Edmonton makes. Like, I think, I think Los Angeles is a smarter team than the Edmonton Oilers. And they're a faster team. They're, they're across the board in my eyes. If you take away the top line of Edmonton, I think LA is a little bit faster team. Okay. I know McDavid changes the perception on that as he should, uh, but LA can skate and they can keep up with Edmonton. They can play on top of Edmonton. They can shut them down if they need to. That'd be a, be a good one. It'd be interesting to see. Yeah. Um, but it, I, I just think about this, like, which of these te- which of these teams really did a good job selling Scott? Like a lot of teams were selling like Anaheim, Montreal, like, and I don't think Anaheim was really looked at as being a seller until late, especially as Pat, when Pat Verbeek came in Seattle, like I, I, some of those teams like Scott, I, we got some new GMs who really stuck out to you as a, as getting maximum maximum returns for what they had available. Yeah. Well, and maybe that's, <clears throat> maybe you hit on it. Uh, you know, Pat Verbeek takes over midseason in uh, in Anaheim and they peel off Ricard Raquel and uh, Josh Manson and Hampus Lindholm, three big, big pieces. And you know, like Pat was so transparent, not letting assets walk for free. Didn't look like he could extend them, sent them out. I thought he did real. I thought the return for those players was was very high. Mm-hmm. And same thing, right? Ken Hughes <clears throat> comes in untested as a GM. Uh, uh, Jeff Gordon has, you know, has come in mid-season as the head of hockey ops. I mean, the whole change, um, you know, uh, Marty St. Louis comes in behind the bench. Like that Montreal team's in, been in such a state of flux. And yet I think of the returns, you know, I thought the Tyler Toffoli deal, terrific deal for Calgary way early in the process, but a terrific return. Uh, the Lekin in return was excellent. Ben Sherratt gets what, you know, I mean, Ben Sherratt's a, a really solid defenseman, but he's not like, he, anyway, I'm not going to throw in Ben Sherratt under the bus, but he, he's he, not Chris Pronger. He's not, Chris <laughs> he's not Bobby. Yeah. Orr. So I thought Ken Hughes for a guy who was six months ago, <clears throat> thinking about player contracts and extensions as an agent, where am I going to get my next, you know, young junior star that I can turn into, you know, an NHL star making lots of money. I thought he did a pretty darn good job mm-hmm. at the deadline. And I think what's, and Ron Francis too, all three of them, even though Ron Francis has been at it for a year, obviously with an expansion team, you're not tied to these guys, right? Like you don't, you aren't emotionally invested in geez, you know, for the we're most losing part. our captain what are we going to do uh, i drive you know we love that kid and you know he's blah 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 you know you can go in with a surgical precision and say no out out assets back let's you know gotta, Here's gotta do I, something with them but i thought those guys did a nice job and i think maybe it's easier if you don't have an attachment to them to say i'm putting my stamp on it my stamp begins here yeah, I I really <clears throat> like what Ron Francis did in Seattle. Like mm-hmm. they've they've compiled so many draft picks for the next several years. Lazan, Giordano, um, Yarncroke, like who am I missing? You know, they they moved a lot of players out. 
And I think the, when I look at Seattle big picture, you know, everybody was surprised with the expansion draft. It didn't feel like they maximized what they could have done. And I think we were building it off of a really odd framework of what the golden Knights had done previously. And every like Seattle wasn't going to be able to do that because teams learned their lesson. But what effectively is happening in Seattle to me is that they've now built the stock that Vegas did in their first year, the expansion draft. Now Seattle's just essentially built that a year later for the coming drafts, you know? And I think by, by, by necessity, they had to kick the can down the road a year. And I think Francis was really smart to do that. So there's going to be some pain there though. Like that club, they can make some moves in free agency this summer, but it's not going to be great in Seattle for a couple of years, but that your expansion team, like we forget this is expansion hockey, you know? So they got two or three years to build towards it. I was really disappointed in long Island. Like the Islanders, like, like yeah. Lou didn't do anything, man. Like all they, all they did essentially was make their team older. They gave Clutterbuck, Clutterbuck a two-year deal and Parisi a one-year deal extensions and they didn't move anyone. They had Varlamov who's got a year and five mil, like teams are looking for goalies. Like, How's he's not on the block? How do you not move Clutterbuck? How do you not even look at your roster and realize, man, we're not that great. We could move a Beauvillier or somebody for big return and change the, the dynamic of what we have. And no, it just essentially to me what the Islanders did says, hey, we're going to run it back next year. We're going to chalk it all up to COVID and our injuries and playing out of a different building and hope it goes better. And we got older. Like I was disappointed there. But what I do you I, it How did Lou not do anything? You know, <laughs> it hasn't been. Listen, it, it hasn't been great. Yeah, uh, listen. The the proof is is obvious. You go to two straight uh, Final Four, Eastern Conference Final. You lose twice in a row to the Stanley Cup champions. That is admirable work, but I think it is short sighted to just assume, as you point out, that this is <clears throat> simply an off year. That we are so, we are basically we are so good that it was just circumstances that derailed us, and I think that's not the case, and I think it's going to be a real struggle for the Islanders, given what they failed to do at the deadline, and, fr- and frankly failed to do in the off season, um, to get back to that level. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know. Listen, Sorokin is uh, Sorokin is uh, is. I think they're, they still have a great, great coach, maybe one of the greatest coaches of his generation. They have good goaltending. They have a terrific system. But, man, they, I, to suggest that this is just a blip, you know, like when Tampa missed the playoffs and then came back and, you know, went on this terrific run starting with 62-win regular season, I, I think that's a great conceit because I don't think the Islanders are built that way. And yeah. I think next year could be a long year as well. Over yeah, I don't buy, yeah, I don't buy it that they're going to get back. I, I Noah Dobson is going to, he's an RFA. He's going to get a big deal on D. Um, but they don't have hardly any young talent in there. They have two entry-level contracts, I think. Barzell's 24. It's an aging group, you know? I mean, do they bring back Chara at age 46? Do they bring back Andy Green for another year? Like, I just see a lot of late era Lou Lamorello with the devils happening in New York. Yeah. Where the devils finally imploded aging veterans couldn't get it going. It feels similar. So I I want to pose you one question here. Okay. What player players do you see in your mind that could be moving either before the trade deadline or before free agency next year, because there's a couple of big names out there that didn't move before deadline. I meant before the draft year, before the draft or before free agency. Right. So who who could you potentially see being on the move then? Well, it's, it's interesting because that's, you know, the draft has really, you know, in spite of all the activity we saw at the deadline, that draft period has really become uh, a trading ground, right? It's where teams really make those substantive moves to their roster. <clears throat> it's where you see players with term get moved. And, you know, a lot of them are, are players that came up and were on Frank's big board. And, you know, I, I you know, what does Detroit do with Tyler Bertuzzi? Um, can't help but think there's still a bad taste in people's mouths about his refusal to get vaccinated and 
therefore unable to play any games in Canada. Um, really good player though. So he's got uh, one year left at 4.75 million. You know, I'm really interested in though. I talked to a scout who thought he, that Calgary might've been trying to flip Sean Monahan to Nashville for Philip Forsberg, who's a mm. pending UFA. I think Forsberg ends up signing in Nashville, but it, just the fact that there was this sort of buzz out that, <clears throat> you know, that the flames were certainly willing to entertain <clears throat> discussions on a guy who's really fallen down their depth chart. He's got one year left at six, three, seven, five Calgary probably, you know, you'd have to sweeten that deal, but he's also a player. He's proven he is good. You know, again, you know, think about a team like Arizona or, you know, a team that's trying to figure itself out. Somebody's got to play in Arizona, right? Bill Armstrong's got 400 draft picks. Somebody's going to have to play there. But I wonder if Sean Monaghan, you know, pending what happens in the playoffs to a very good Calgary team, is he a guy that moves? Um, you know, JT Miller is a guy whose name came up and then really sort of sunk uh, below, the, below the radar uh, with Vancouver. Really important part of that team. He's got one year left at 5-2-5. Five five. If you can extend him, then you keep him. That's the dilemma, though, for um, – mm-hmm. Uh, Patrick Alvin and um, the hockey ops group, Jim Rutherford in Vancouver, because if you're Vancouver and you, and you don't have the, the pipeline that you need to succeed, then you, you have to trade JT Miller at some point. If you're, if you're not going to be a playoff team, a lot of things moving there. What, what about you? Yeah. Uh, it's Brock Besser. So staying within Vancouver, um, I thought his contract and the, the qualifying offer that he's due Scared teams off here at the trade deadline, but I think I think he is a move that you could see before the draft, for sure, uh, or before free agency. I mean, I know those are pressure points. I, I would target him even before the draft. Yeah, you're looking at 25, 30 goals out of Brock Besser, and if you need help, pure goal scoring, there's not many of those in the NHL that are available. But you got to be a team that's willing to eat that contract. Yeah, now, and I shouldn't say eat. Who's willing to actually gamble on that contract? Like what that next one's going to be. Are you going to pay him $7 million? Do you believe Brock Besser is worthy of that contract? There will be a team out there, Scott, who I think believes that. I don't know what it looks like. And I don't see the Canucks believing that's what they want to tie their truck to. If you're trying to get Miller signed, who's turned into a top 10 player, top 15 player in the league as a forward, arguably, Hmm. you know, so I think Besser is really intriguing to me. I don't know where he goes, but that's the one I'm really got my eye on as somebody I think is going to get a lot of chatter, especially leading. Like, I think really towards the draft for him will be the pressure point. All right. I feel like we've done good work here today. I think we've vanquished the trade deadline and now we can move on. Now we can move on. You know what? I'm, I'm yes. looking, yeah, I think that's it next week. We will be in full. By next week, we're gonna teams will be in that fifteen game range mm-hmm. left to go. Next week, we'll be nudging the end of March, the first part. You know, the, we'll be into that final month of the regular season. It's going to be fun. And by next week, hopefully, we'll know the results of the Dodonoff affair. So, no doubt, I we'll have wait. a Vegas segment next week. So. Seems yeah, enough. it's every week, I guess. So, and we didn't, we hardly touched on their injury. So, it's Scott, as always, had a lot of fun, especially on our trade deadline day live stream. And then again today on the suitcase and the scribe. Great work by you, the traveling man himself, Carolina to Atlanta to all over the place. I'm all over the place. But uh, next week, like clockwork, we're going to do it again. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to The Suitcase and The Scribe, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.